social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, I'm Carrie Kerpin, and welcome to another episode of All the Social Ladies. It is my complete pleasure today to intro you to Candy Harris. Candy Harris is currently the Chief Operating Officer at Likeable Media and works directly with me. However, she's had a long career filled with lots of adventures and working at Esselte Corporation. And before she did that and just throughout her entire experience, she just has been filled with lots of pearls of wisdom for young women in business and leaders as we grow. And she's been a personal mentor to me and close friend. And I, I can't say how much she's impacted my life as a leader. And so I'm hoping she will impart some of her wisdom today on All the Social Ladies. So welcome, Candy. Thank you so much, Carrie. You're, You're embarrassing me a I little bit. I can't help it. I can't help it. So, Candy, tell me, start out by telling me the story of your career. Tell me about how you got your start and your journey. My career was very haphazard. I can't say that it was planned at all other than I knew I wanted to do something in business but didn't know what that was. My first job was actually as a secretary. Wow. Yes. I didn't know this. Yes. Kind of candy facts and it, today. <laughs> and it was for a, um, a company called Petri Television. They repped local stations and sold TV time. And I was, um, it, you know, I guess they called it assistant to the VP of marketing research. Okay. And I thought it was a great entree into the business world. And I would, you know, work with numbers and I work with a lot of the analysts there. And I thought, oh, when an analyst job opens up, I'll go for it. And I was there about six months and a job opened up and I went for it and I didn't get it. And my thinking is, I think back, I don't know if this was true or not, that the reason I didn't get it was because I was too good a secretary and my boss didn't want to lose me. So, because there was no other reason why. I mean, I was doing the work already as an assisting other analysts. So I said, I have to leave. Smart. So my next, I'll say my best opportunity after that, I worked for a small startup that reminds me very much of Likeable Media today. It was a privately owned company by, not a couple, but by two gentlemen. And there were a lot of smart young people working there. And what they did in those days, there were no PCs or laptops. They had on their mainframe computer, they loaded up market research data from Simmons and MRI Mm -hmm. at the time. And their clients were publications, ad agencies, radio stations, TV stations, et cetera. And I started in client service there. And I remember when I went on my interview, I was interviewing with a couple of people at once. And I said, I only wanted to know, was this not a typing job? And they looked at me and they said, do you see a typewriter in the room? And I was like, no. So they said, it's not a typing job. And I I worked there for about six years and progressed, had great opportunities, learned a lot, got my MBA while I was there at night. And after I got my MBA, I thought, I've gone as far as I could go within this firm and I should look elsewhere. I made a career mistake. I left there for a job that was a mistake. And I probably knew very early on that it was a mistake, but I stayed there. It was for a company. It was a small outlet 
of a, a major corporation that sold computer um, – they sold air conditioning equipment and electrical protection equipment for big computer rooms. And this was like the sales and marketing office for the New York region. And they really didn't – they hired me as a marketing director. They didn't really need a marketing director. Mm. So I ended up leaving there after about a year and a half, I think. And then I landed at SLT where I spent most of my career. So as you can see, it was not planned out, but – Haphazard. So you knew you wanted to be in business, but you weren't exactly sure how or where. Correct. And then when you got to SLT, you then grew from what position did you yeah, end I started in? as an associate product manager. Okay. I actually took a demotion, you know, because I was had been a marketing director, but I really wanted that job. I just knew right away that it was right. Again, I had met with a lot of people and I loved the people, I loved the environment, and I thought it was a place I could really thrive. So I started as associate product manager. I worked on Dymo labeling um, tools, and I forgot what other product, but two other product lines. And so from that, you grew to be the – you were the global VP of marketing, correct? I, yeah, I was the marketing – VP of marketing for SLT Americas, actually. Okay. And yes, I, I always tell people when I interviewed them over the years that I stayed here this long or at SLT this yes. long because every time I got bored um, or itchy, I either got promoted or I got a new exciting project to work on. So how did you manage to do that? And do you have advice for young women who are in companies and are like maybe at a point where they're getting bored? How did you manage to always not get bored or have a new opportunity? Did you seek it out? Did it just come? Was it luck? I think it it was a combination of both probably. I definitely made it known to, you know, various managers I had over the years that I wanted to learn more and I wanted to progress and I wanted to add value, continue to add value. So if I was came at a point where I felt I was stagnating a little bit, I would proactively ask for a project that I knew was, you know, coming up or a new product line or a new brand to work on. And then sometimes just, you know, somebody left and I had the opportunity to step in their shoes. So I think it's a com- it was a combination of both, which is probably true today. I think everyone's career, sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time. And other times it's making things happen for yourself. And you mentioned a little bit about the the career mistake of going to the place that was, was wrong. I know that's a horrible feeling. I, I definitely have had that when I've made a, a wrong choice at a job. Um, how did you handle it as being there? Like, did you... It reach out to friends? Did you? You knew very quickly, right? I did, but I was at a part of my personal life where I wanted to stay there because I had just actually adopted my son, mm-hmm. and this was a move from working in the city to working closer to home. So I really wanted to make it work. So I just stayed there, and I ended up. They ended up firing me. Actually, yeah. you were fired, Candy. Yes, yes. Were you? How did you handle that? I was shocked. You I were was shocked. devastated. Wow, that I never knew. Yeah. See, new things I learned. I mean, it wasn't fired time. for cause. Right. It was just it was they just, realized right. they didn't need me. Right. Wow. Yeah. And it, the funny ironic thing is there probably were times months before where I really wasn't doing anything where I would have expected it. At the time that this happened, I actually was busy on a lot of projects that I kind of created to try to make marketing activities and, you know, get them more leads, which was pretty much what I was supposed to be doing. How do you bounce back from that? When you're fired, like how do you how do you handle that? And certainly, as somebody who's you know so successful and somebody who's so does such a high achiever, I would describe you and knowing you as a high achiever. How do you, how did you bounce back from that feeling of being fired? 
I think you just have to, you know, obviously with the support of your friends and family who, you know, try to help bolster you up. And there were times when when you're job searching, if you get past the first gate, that helps bolster you up. You know, you get the interview or you get the phone call and you get the first meeting. So all of those times I said, okay, you know, this is going to be okay. I'm going to bounce back. This is going to be good. But sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. Yes, yes. And so after, how long were you at SLT? 20, 25, 25 years. 25 years. Okay. 25 years. So after 25 years, you came to Likeable. Tell me a little bit about how, what I would describe, how you got your start in social as a whole, just with so, your experiences with social media. You mean personally or um, from? I think from. From the brand level? Yes, from the brand level. Okay. So I was at this time a VP of marketing and I went to a small CMO conference, and there was a speaker who was very engaging, and he started off the meeting pointing at everybody at the table and saying, unless, you know, you're all dinosaurs. And I kind of took a step back saying, what is this guy going to say? <laughs> he says, you're not, you're all dinosaurs unless you really understand social and the power that can help have in marketing your brands. And then he proceeded to give a whole presentation on social and how um, the marketing marketing industry, I'll call it, was switching more to social. So, And I really knew nothing about it at the time. So I walked out of there and I said, I better f- get help here mm-hmm. and get a social agency, at which point I did a search and came to Likeable. And so eventually, when you were done with your SLT experience and you ended up coming to work for Likeable, tell me a little bit about why you made that choice. Well, uh, since I was a client of Likeable's, I knew the caliber of the work that Likeable was doing for me as, you know, the head of the brand and was very pleased. I had interacted with a lot of people at the agency and I felt that there was a lot of talent there, a lot of smart young people that I thought I could help, you know, combining their knowledge of social and their youth and enthusiasm and my business experience that perhaps the marriage would really help both of us. And so you took this leap and you went to work at this social agency, but you yourself are not somebody who isn't, I would certainly not qualify you as an overuser of social media, right? That that is true. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about your personal usage and how um, it felt coming into a social agency when you are not practicing as much of social media. Well, my personal use, I have been on LinkedIn for quite Mm -hmm. a while. And at one point, I really made an effort to increase my connections a couple of years ago on LinkedIn. And that Mm -hmm. was a great exercise Mm -hmm. for me because I reached out to kind of everybody I had ever worked with way back when. And it was a great way to reconnect with people that I hadn't spoken to in many years. So I thought that was a great use for that. Now I'm actually using it to also reach out again, you know, for likable to potentially Uh, identify people that we may be able to help that I have a personal connection to. So I've been active on LinkedIn, not as a publisher more Mm -hmm. so, but as a connector. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook I've been on, but never go on, to be honest, except (laughs) for the likable group, which took a lot of getting used to. Yes, we have an internal uh, group, a communication group that we use on Facebook. And yes, that's true. It did take you a little while to do that. It's really just because you're so forward thinking because no one under 25 is really using Facebook. So you're just like that. You're ahead of your time. Um, Twitter, as you well know, I totally don't get. Yeah, yeah. You've tried to train me on it a number of times. I have. And I don't get it. 
And Instagram is one that I actually personally enjoy using. I love taking photos with my cam- with my um, phone, and I like posting selectively, and I like looking at what other people are posting on Instagram. So that's one that I use personally. Um, and I follow some brands on Instagram, and I and I like what some are doing in terms of positioning their brands more as like a lifestyle mm-hmm. than as a product. I've been really interested on the podcast. A lot of times when I talk to people, almost everybody talks about their favorite network of choice or what they're finding from ease of use being Instagram because it's it's really it's very easy. It's easy for people who even, you know, if you're if you're actively very active in social or you're not, um, it's just a very simple platform. I think it's very interesting to hear you say that about right. Instagram. Right. And it, and it's easier to see what people are doing than Facebook, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and anyway, so your question going back to that, so coming to the agency. Yes. So challenges, the the, the best, biggest one is communication within mm-hmm. the agency, mm-hmm. getting used to using that Facebook group as opposed to a mass email or some other way of communicating important news for the agency. But don't you find, the thing that I, I find so interesting in, in watching you at the agency and I think is very relevant to people who've worked in a career for a long time that haven't been in social that are looking to get into social is... I think if you have an in-depth understanding on the client side of, of a client's business challenges, using social to address those business challenges, how we specifically do it is much less important than understanding the objectives of the business in the first place. It's really understanding how, what their challenges are. And I think that you, you're you able to dig right into that rather than, you know, okay, you need to use Instagram for this immediately. You need to use Twitter for this, et cetera. But it's, it's the ability to ask the right questions at an agency and get to the business challenges. Well, absolutely. And that's, I think, one of the challenges that that a lot of brands have with social. Mm-hmm. You know, how does it tie to helping them meet business objectives? And of course, the measurement of, of you know, the ROI on social as well. Absolutely. And I think that's where bringing in people actually from outside of social media has helped. I know from our agency and from watching um, some of our clients is bringing some outside perspectives has really been nice because you can really be in an entirely little social media microcosm yeah. bubble, right? right exactly. Yeah. And that's the point I always liked even when I was head of marketing at SLTA. And now it's understanding, trying to delve into what is the co- the root cause of the business challenges and then come up with a whole bunch of ways to try to meet them. Exactly. Now, so Candy, I did not bring you on all the so- – this is a shocker. I did not bring you on all the social ladies today to fully discuss social because where I find your greatest strength is, of all the many strengths you have, um, is definitely in mentoring and and helping grow young leaders. It's something that I've, I've seen and have seen a, in a passion for you, even when you were doing your office hours at Labor League. And you've done a lot of different things to help our the, the young people in our office. And I've found that you just have such great advice from career experiences. Um, so I would love to know just some advice that you have for young people who are starting out. Do you have any, any tips that you'd like to share now? And then I can share with you some of the tips you've given me and how we, we can talk through that a little bit. But any advice that you have? Well, of course, you know, the best thing that anybody can do is try to find their passion. Mm-hmm. And that's easier said than done. But when you find it, work isn't work. Right. It's really what you love doing. That aside, um, the second piece, especially for younger people, would be try to live in the moment. I know, you know, nowadays young people are very focused on I have to do a plan. I have to have a, you know, a plan. I have to execute my plan. And sometimes when you're thinking so much about what my plan is, you're not enjoying the moment that you're in today. 
That actually ties into a piece of advice that you give me a lot. See, now <laughs> once you just start talking, they all come back to me, all my candyisms um, about the living in the moment. Uh, one thing that you say to me, which I think is so great, especially for young people when there's a lot of anxiety around your career and all of these things, is you can only really worry about one thing at a time. That's one of That's my favorite true. candyisms. <laughs> Isn't that right? Is you can only worry about one thing at a time. And I think that in general... That's helped me a lot. So I, I would I would convey that candy advice onto you. I don't know. Where, where did you get that from? Was that just something that you... I think that's just something that I found for myself, that I, I am a definite worrier, but things like trump each other. Mm-hmm. So if I'm worried about one thing and then something else happens, I kind of forget about the first thing I was worrying about mm. and I focus on the second. Mm. So I think it's just how I think. So I said, oh, that kind of makes sense because you want to kind of focus your energy as best as you can. So that's where it came from. I love that one. One of your other really uh, key strengths, I think, is how you manage people. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe managing people for the first time? I know you've helped me be a better manager, definitely. I hope. <laughs> but um, but in general, as a manager, what are some of the best tricks you learned? Well, everyone has their own management style mm-hmm. that you know varies from person to person. I can only say what's worked for me. And I was always big on delegation Mm -hmm. and not micromanaging, especially Mm -hmm. when you're working with smart, ambitious people. They want to feel ownership of what they're doing. So a manager once said to me that my best job is to kind of clear the weeds for you. So when you need help, a manager should be there, but not in the in the day to day. So trust, you know, so so of course that takes time because when you just hire somebody, you may not know their capabilities and you might want to check all their work or really micromanage. But try to – I always try to step back and let the person, you know, do their job. If they make a mistake, learn from the mistake, you know, analyze what went wrong so that it doesn't happen again. But really delegate and trust that the people that work for you can do it. And do you think if you're in your pretty or let's say you're pretty early in your career and you really want to grow, what do you think is the best way to go about that? Is it asking to grow? Is it showing what you can do? What do you think if you're somebody starting their career and that you you really want to be on the fast track, you want to grow, what steps can you take? Well, there's a, a number of different things that you can do. Um, making it known that you're interested in growth is certainly one avenue, but to be always, I want to grow, I want to grow, is not going to really work. Right. So some things are really more self-directed. What can you do on your own to provide more value in your current role and really to your direct manager? How can you help them look good? What um, expertise can you put on the table? I always found personally that I'm a, I'm a big reader and reading things about my industry, but maybe other things that I can figure out how to apply lessons learned to the current role that I'm in. So the more you can put on the table, the more you'll be thought of when an opportunity comes up. And then sometimes you're in a situation where as much as you put out, you realize it's not going to happen. And that's the time to look at moving on. That's like your position when you were the assistant. And exactly. You, I love it. See, I'm never going to forget that story now. Okay. More words of wisdom from Candy. So tell me, what do you do? Okay, let's play what do you do if. What do you do if you work for a manager that you can't stand? How do you deal with it? Hmm. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It, I think it depends. If you, if you love everything else about your job, 
you're in like you're the, you're in the company or the industry that you really want to be in you are still learning then you need to figure out a way to either work with that manager or move on to a different role within that company some you know sometimes it's just not going to work if you don't like that manager you could be oil and water you could have different styles you you have to try try your best but then if it's not going to work out, you have to come up with plan B. I've read that that's the main reason for people leaving companies is generally that they don't like their manager. Yeah. And I've actually also heard, tell me what you think of this fact, that people will work longer for a bad manager or a really tough manager than an inconsistent manager. Have you ever heard that? It's interesting. That's an, I, I haven't heard it, but it makes total sense to me. I had a manager once who... I never knew what to expect. So I came in one day and she was one way and I came in another day and she was totally different. It's very hard when you don't know what to expect. So that's inconsistency to me. That that makes total sense. Totally, right? Oh, I, I'm going to share a story of a what do you do. Okay. Are you ready? That from Candy <laughs> that she gave me a piece of advice. So one time um, I had to – somebody had to leave Likeable. I can't remember um, – it was somebody left likable on bad terms. Not ideal terms. It wasn't bad terms, but not ideal. And I, I was very, very upset. And I, I just wanted to send out an email to the team and say, look, this is why this happened. And, and Candy said to me something that will always forever stick with me. Um, how you treat someone who leaves a company or leaves your – if you're managing somebody, um, is, matters less and says less to the person than it does to the people who stay. Right. And I remember that so well and think that that's something that was so, so, so valuable to me. Can you elaborate on that point? Yeah, I, I learned that, you know, earlier in my career because when I was not a manager and I watched people leave and I they were celebrated or they were thanked and that resonated with me. I remembered that. It stuck with me. Oh, this is a good place that even when people leave, they're treated fairly, they're you know, celebrated for what they contributed and that stuck with me. And then other people that I talked to kind of reinforced that. I think that's also a misconception that if you sell, celebrate people who leave, you're actually encouraging others to leave. And, you know, that if you celebrate and you say, okay, congratulations, you got your new job, like, does that mean that you want everyone to go get a new job? I think that's a fear of managers is that if they celebrate it too much, it's seen as like, you know, this positive thing that people are leaving you. But in the end of the day, people do It's a leave. fact. It's a fact of life. People it, people it, do leave. It happens. And and even if they leave, they assuming that they were a valuable employee, they did contribute. Yeah, it's true. All right, Candy, what do you do? Feel that you deserve a raise and you want a raise or you want a promotion. How do you handle it? You feel you've been overlooked. What do you do? I'll overlook for a promotion? For, for or? a raise or a promotion. Not You didn't apply. You want a raise. You feel you, want you should a raise. be earning more. Okay. Well, that's a very tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you more what not to do okay. than probably okay. what to do. Let's do that. Okay, so never go, never compare or or quotes what somebody else is making, mm-hmm. even if you're in the know. Never, you know, you always want to base your your requests for raises on your contributions, on your value. Um, you just have to. I mean, you can ask for it for sure, but it has to be based on I'm doing. You know, I'm at this salary, but I'm doing this, this, and this. This is how I'm contributing. You know, I I believe that I want to be, you know, my compensation doesn't match my contributions. That would be an approach that could work. Never 
oh, you know, I heard that Susan got a raise and I want a raise too. Or another thing not to do is my expenses are are growing now. I need more money. What about um, pulling up comps of of, uh, similar positions from the industry? Do you think that that works at all? Like if you said, oh, look, the industry standard is this. If you actually have real data for Mm -hmm. that, yes, that can be pretty – that can be compelling for sure. But no – but – but make sure that your data is correct. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm trying to think of some other really good words of wisdom that you've given me um, throughout the years. I mean, you. Any time I talk to you, it it's you always You're really embarrassing me. No, Carrie. it's true. I can't help it. I can't help it. It's very, very true. I love it, and I love. I also love to live in the moment. Tell me, and other about other than um, going to the company that you knew was a mistake. Do you have any other career mistakes that you could share? Yes, I, this one is like delved in my brain. I'm ready. So I was a product manager at SLT at the time, and we had launched. Um, a new product line that had a dedicated supply to it. And there was inventory involved. And we knew we what happened was we were going to have to change that supply. And let's just say there was like three, at least three months notice, maybe longer. I don't remember that part. And I was told you better watch the inventory of the old supply and make sure that, you know, you figure out how to do this transition. And I thought I was on top of it. And the day came, and I messed up, and we had a lot of inventory of this old supply. And I was devastated, devastated, Mm -hmm. because it cost the company money. And, you know, I said I had it, and I didn't. So I always, after that, what that taught me was attention to detail, that you really have to make sure, especially in anything that affects finances, Mm -hmm. that you better make sure that. At least I felt I better make sure that I have all my I's dotted, all my T's crossed, and I really understood the importance of that. A lot of times I think with a mistake, it's so much less about the actual mistake and so much more about what you learned from that mistake. I think it can it can teach you so much. And, and I think an attention to detail is something that's missing from a lot of people until you yeah. make the mistake. Exactly. And then you don't do it again. Yeah. Yeah, the true. other part to that was I felt that I personally let down the president of the company mm. at the time because he was the one who kind of talked to me about this. So that was another thing that taught me don't ever let down somebody who, you know, you really care about yes. in your organization. See, that just led me to another <laughs> nugget from you about tell everyone about the credibility bank. Oh, yes. Credibility bank is very important. Yes. So the analogy is that when you start a, a new job or a new position or with a new manager, you have zero in your credibility bank because you have no relationship, mm-hmm. you haven't really done anything, and as you perform, you gain dollars or you gain credibility in your bank so that if you do mess up or you do need to ask for a special favor or something out of the ordinary, it's no problem because you've built up this credibility bank. And similarly, you can deplete from the credibility bank and you have to build it back exactly. up. Exactly. So you depleted a little on that mess up. I but then did. I bet you you built it up and then some, right? Well, I hope I Of did. course <laughs> you did. Of course you did. Well, Candy, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for it having me. It was wonderful me. to have you. And uh, we just love having you at Likeable. And I love being there. Yay. I really do. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerpin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com.